Hi there. This is Brett with uh, Rock and Roll Ghost Podcast. Uh, apologies for the crazy hair uh, and the bright sunlight. <laughs> Anyways, um, I'm recording this introduction, which I never do, uh, for the uh, this week's episode with Chef Tiffany Faison. Um, I'm a great admirer of Chef Faison. I have been for a long time. And it was a real pleasure getting to talk to her. Uh, but we kind of wandered into a certain uh, area where I probably wasn't, you know, not probably, I wasn't really um, as prepared to talk about in terms of uh, information and my own actual positions. Um, we, uh, this dude, Chef Faison, who identifies as queer, um, was married to a woman, and now it uh, says in the interview who she's dating, um, you know, has a pretty in-depth experience um, as a queer person uh, in this field. And I, am a, as a straight male, um, you know, even though I try, I, I don't have all the information. And it's not for a lack of care or... Um, it's ignorance into, in the form of the, the, the actual definition of ignorance in terms of just not knowing. Uh, it's not being willfully ignorant. Uh, and I try to keep up with everything. And I try to uh, reassess my own feelings and things. I've been a supporter of the LGBTQ community for years. Um, you know, I, I, I know this sounds typical, like, you know, Somebody says, I, oh, I have a black friend, you know, so I'm not racist. Um, but, I, you know, even in the 90s when I moved out on my own, I had a, a gay roommate, uh, this wonderful man that uh, I had a lot of, you know, he and I were good friends. Um, you know, at some point, you know, he, he moved, I moved, and, you know, life, I got married, you know. Um, but I've always been a supporter of people. I had family members. Uh, or, or gay, and, um, you know. I'll admit that it's for for me as a fifty-one-year-old, you know, straight white male. Uh, it's been difficult keeping up with the, I guess, for me, new information. Uh, the last five years, you know, five ten years in particular, have uh, had a lot of new things to the uh, the world at large. Um, that, you know, not that nobody knew about it, just that maybe not most of the straight world knew about it or understood or knew the, the intricacies of. So it's not that I, I don't think I say anything offensive in it. It's just I wanted to do this introduction just as a way to under, help you understand that um, I where my position actually is and that I entered into this very... Uh, uh, let's say um, just not fully informed um, I, I was very ineloquent like I am today uh, with what I was trying to say uh, and I was trying I, I didn't want to offend her I don't want to offend anybody out there that may be viewing this uh, not that I don't mind offending people sometimes it's just that in this case it's, it wasn't my you know, in any way my intention of doing so and it's not where my heart is. Uh, you can see an antenna was flying around. Um, 
so yeah, I just wanted to put this out there. Uh, I, I hope everybody enjoys the interview, and I hope uh, I, I'm not trying, you know, trying to start any uh, fake controversy or any kind of controversy just to rack up views. I uh, I considered editing the piece out, and I talked to some friends of mine, and they said, no, keep it in, especially because Tiffany uh, seemed um, appreciative of having the conversation. And uh, I'll have a link for uh, the LGBT community uh, that those of you that uh, perhaps are uninformed can go and visit and find out more. Uh, but I think everybody regardless of race, you know, gender, sexuality, you know, the rest, uh, should be treated equally. I think everybody should be treated uh, with kindness and grace and warmth. Uh, I guess until they prove otherwise and, you know, if somebody does something that uh, harms somebody else or harms you, then they're not deserving of that respect. Um, but to not have respect or care uh, for somebody just because of uh, who they were born as uh, is something I've never been a, been down with. Um, I treat everyone as I would like to be treated. And uh, I just want everybody out there to do the same. And I don't want this interview to reflect poorly on me because um, it you know, like I said I was ineloquent and would rather not have that image be out there but uh, I think it's important also to, to show that even the, those that feel they are on the right side of things sometimes don't have all the information so I hope you enjoy the interview my apologies for the lengthy intro uh, and the uh, floating uh, antenna um, Hope you guys have a good rest of your day. Stay safe. Uh, and, you know, as I believe RuPaul says, I could be misquoting, love is love. Just love. Try your best. Uh, don't cause harm. Don't cause harm. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Okay, welcome back to this week's edition of the Rock and Roll Ghost Podcast. This week we're pretty excited to have uh, Chef, Super Chef. I don't know what term you like more. Uh, Mildly excited. Pretty, we're pretty <laughs> excited. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, Tiffany Faison from Big Heart Hospitality. She owns, uh, uh, what, five restaurants in Boston now with a six. Okay, I might not have the sixth one then. Uh, welcome to the show, Tiffany. We're really super, I'm really super, and there's nobody else here to have you <laughs> I'm psyched to be here, Red. Thanks for it's me. it's that thing I hate on like on cooking TV when said what we have for you is and it's like, dude, you just prepared it. <laughs> yeah, it's just you. It's just you. What we yeah. have for only one. There's one you. And I understand that that's like you know uh, back of the house mentality. Like you know everybody contributed, but it's like it's not that hard to switch the gears. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> I think there's a lot of nerves involved that keep people from fully switching gears. So <laughs> it's I, I I I've been watching food TV for way too long, and I'm very jaded. And uh, I used to write I used to write for uh, Eater and Thrillist in Chicago back in yep. the day. And I got really burned out in the restaurant scene, so I took a number of years off without talking to any any people in the restaurant biz. I still had my friends, but you know, smart. Yeah. Now, that whole culture just irritates the hell out of me, but I'm sure you can't see anything. <laughs> it's my, it's part of my culture. There's parts of it. There's pockets of anything yeah. that I think guys really, um, that gets a little bit tiresome or unnecessary, but you know. Yeah. Well, um, before I, I get started with questions, I need to let you know, my almost 70 year old mother wanted me to say that she absolutely loves you. Um, she is a uh, smaller redheaded woman as well so i think that's the connection <laughs> um i see you i got you <laughs> so she's she was super excited about this so i said hi give her a big yeah, squeeze i will we're gonna take her off for dinner for her 70th uh hopefully hopefully soon uh but anyway so well where are you at right now in in your work life you said you had six residents i know sweet cheeks fulls errand dive bar tenderonies and bubble bath what's the sixth there's two tenderonis. That's oh, so you're including that. Okay. That's yeah. why I thought I missed one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the three dive bar tenderoni uh, at Bubble Beth all were uh, opened recently at the High Street Place. Correct. In, yeah. yeah. Uh, the food hall. So how did how did that come up for you? How did how did that whole introduction to a food hall come up? Well, that was a deal I did, oh, what are we, like three and a half almost four years ago, I started working on that deal before COVID was even a thought in anyone's mind. Obviously, like, you know, food halls, the success of food halls is predicated on a bunch of people gathering in small spaces. Yes. Um, and it's in the financial district when people used to go to work. Um, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, check, check, check. What else yeah. did I? Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it was, I did the deal like three and a half years ago. We opened a year ago. It's actually been, it's been really great. It's been gone, yeah. it's gone like well beyond what we thought would happen post pandemic. So, cause we were still kind of like the tail end of the pandemic. I don't know that we're ever gonna be done with it but I think we're kind of done now but we opened a year ago, almost a year ago to like in March. Yeah. Okay. Month. So yeah, the, the concept, the, you know, food hall concept has always been interesting to me. I mean, I remember at the tail end of my time writing that I, we uh, had a couple of places opening up in Chicago around that time. And it's a great concept because of people, established chefs, not established chefs, I mean, uh, can try things out. I've I've seen a, in Chicago. I've seen a lot of chefs start one at a food hall and then open up an actual big place of their own. Yeah, it can be a low stakes way for someone to kind of beta test whether it's like a new concept or whether it's a chef that's working on their first project. Um, it can be that. For me, it was um, a bit of a beta for like three new concepts um, and a you know an incredible way to kind of get into a different part of the city that I hadn't been in um, and expand Big Heart into into the financial district and kind of really start working on getting new audiences into the company. So it's been both of those things for me. It's been great. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I was um, looking through all the menus and there was one, okay, there's one item on the Sweet, sweet Cheeks uh, menu I have to ask about because I, I think I know where the inspiration came from. And I'm curious if anyone's brought it up before. I'm sure somebody has. Just one rib. <laughs> you know what it is. It's Chris Rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, just make because I just told my sister about it uh, recently, and I was like, she, "She's got to have seen. I'm going to get you, sucker." <laughs> of course, 
Of course, you can't you can't open a barbecue restaurant without just wondering. Well, people have, but this yeah. this person's not going to. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. yeah. That was that. That's a hysteric. That was the best moment in that hysterical movie. <laughs> oh, so great! Just wondering. Yeah. Yep, so great. <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure I had that right. You have it and, correct. Yes. And if you don't know the movie, go see it. I'm gonna get you sucked. It's if you fun. haven't seen it, like either see it quickly or like revoke your citizenship and get that get out of the there, country. There you go. Well, I'm gonna bounce around a bit here. You uh, were born in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your uh, father was in the army. You came to America and uh, it, it, it stayed, we were living in Santa Rosa or? So the progression is I was born in Germany and then we moved to Oklahoma, Oklahoma to um, California, California back to Germany, Germany to Greece, wow. uh, Greece to Oklahoma, Texas, California again. Wow. So California kept coming up. So um, Germany and Oklahoma were like yeah, the yeah. three prevailing places. Yeah. Cool. Which one uh, of the th- of the three you know main ones that you enjoy the most greece because well that's not the three main ones but um, still still no, no matter what so that was pretty great um yeah. that was like six months uh yeah. california is i consider you know boston and california are home to me when people say like what's home like northern california is home boston is home and i don't it's hard to parse the two like i'm they're both deeply home for me in different reasons but equally as much yeah so you, uh, and there was another thing that I, I saw some differing statements. Some things say that you did, some things say that you didn't. I mean, in some cases you said you didn't. Uh, did you school? did you did you go to a year of culinary school? Nope. Okay, I don't know why that's pervasive then. It's on Wikipedia. I've tried to get rid of it. I can't. Yeah. It's, it's other places too for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I, I think because people referenced it from Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, something about Cambridge Culinary School. I never yeah. went to culinary school. Yeah, so your like, your education was taught English primarily. Uh, I wouldn't say primarily. I would really? say that I started cooking with Todd for. Well, sure. that's what I'm getting at. Like the beginnings. So you've, you've done a lot of. You did a lot of stuff before opening the the first restaurant. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah. No actual college and no culinary school. Um, I worked. I mean, I started working in restaurants when I was 14. Okay. Um, mostly front of the house, and then I started back in the house when I was like 22 or 23, somewhere in there. And I started working for Todd yeah. and then from Todd, I worked for Tony Maz and a bunch of people that are here in Boston. And then I um, started traveling and cooking with Todd. So yeah, I was with Todd for a long time. Yeah. And then I, I was so aware of like the things that I didn't know from not going to culinary school that I started really seeking that out. So worked for Danielle, I worked for Alain Ducasse. I went and like really sought out places I wanted to be to learn for yeah. a good 10 years. God, uh, yeah, da- uh, Daniel Balut and, uh, Dukas, I mean that's that's pretty amazing talent right there. Who, who are those? <laughs> I got to meet da- uh, Danielle uh, at, at uh, a beer awards here in Chicago. He's a very yep. nice person. He's lovely. He's wild. Get a drink. <laughs> get a couple drinks in that guy. I, I didn't. I didn't have the opportunity. I was trying to convince uh, David. David Chang wanted to go to try an Italian beef place. And I was trying to say, hey, I got a car. That was the closest I got to hanging out with anybody from that party. <laughs> so. So, um, what, when did you feel comfortable going out on your own and, and what, what did you feel inside about doing it? And, and, uh, what were the steps you had to take to make sweet cheeks your first place? Really good series of questions. Um, if I'm being entirely honest, um, I should have, I maybe should have gone a little earlier than I did. Yeah. 
um, which is wild because we live in a time when like everyone like learns to cook off of YouTube and wants to open their own restaurant in like five minutes. I had been cooking for probably 10 years, like 10 years. Um, I'd run restaurants. I'd done a lot. And um, I think that what I figured out in hindsight, I wish I could tell you I figured it out at the time. I didn't. But in hindsight, um, I found myself getting like really frustrated in the jobs that I was in because it wasn't how I would do it. And I think it takes a long time for you to develop like a, um, like a fingerprint and a handwriting that's your own culinarily, both operationally and also artistically, like how you see things and how you would do things. And it sort of happens, I think, in some ways without you knowing it. Like um, I wasn't uniquely aware of it um, until it, and the way it manifested for me was just being really frustrated and like how people I was working for were running their kitchens or wanted their kitchens run or whatever it was. And it's their restaurant. They own it. They can do whatever they want. Right. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And it wasn't kind of how I saw the world. And so um, I think it probably came across as, I don't know, probably not great. Like I was, I didn't see it for what it was at the time. And I was just kind of like, this is BS and I don't like how this goes. And I wasn't having those conversations with the owners, but I would go home and just feel like really defeated and like really frustrated. So in hindsight, that's what, how it manifested for me that it was like, it's time, it's time for you yeah. to do your thing. Um, so I was working at a restaurant called Roca um, and uh, running that. And it had been like the owners, um, you know, you don't know what to ask when you go into like a restaurant like that as the executive chef. And um, frankly, if someone came in and asked me like what my financials are and like, how's my cash flow? Like, I'd be like, sit down. <laughs> this is not your business. Um, but, you know, I also didn't ask those questions. They hadn't paid rent. Like, just ever like stuff like that. I didn't know. So I went in to like rave reviews, like we we're busy all the time and then we closed in 10 months. And I was like, I just didn't understand how that happened. I didn't have any access to like back of the house, you know, like actual financials or, or the keys to the kingdom in that way. So in hindsight, I can see what happened, but again, at the time, so this was 2000. Well, they did it on New Year's Eve. So it was 2009 going into, nope, 10 going into 11. Um, and I just thought like, it's now or never, like I was in my early thirties and I just thought like, if, if, if you don't do this now, you're going to give it the best years of your life away. So, yeah. um, I went on Obama's payroll and, um, started working on sweet cheeks with a business partner, partner that ultimately turned out to be, um, a really horrendously bad cultural fit. Um, but open sweet cheeks and then bought him out four years later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, oh, that's, that's cool. I mean, I don't, I think that's something that a lot of people don't know the, when they're cooking, they don't, they don't ask those questions because, or if they ask them, they're told that's not your business, but you know, what have you. Um, yeah. There's a lot of open book accounting that does happen. We do it in my company. Um, yeah. Like we all see the P and L's. Um, I, I, for years, I was like the chef that was asked to like, you know, shave off labor or food costs is X or whatever. And if I didn't see it and understand it as, as a one piece of the larger Jenga puzzle, you don't always understand how to do what you're being asked to do in the context with which you're doing it. So it's like, yeah, I can do, I, you know, you need a lot of information to understand, to understand like how it all works together. Yeah. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from people like uh, people I know that have opened restaurants and like, uh, yeah, the, this guy's uh, over here. We're trying to open a restaurant. This guy's spending the investors money on you know illegal activities and things and the guy leave you know the, the person i know leaves and nine months later the place you know it opened and closed within nine months it's like 
well, there you go. You know? <laughs> yeah. And there's like, there's a lot of different things that can um, contribute to a restaurant not succeeding. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of outside in like this person does this or that. Like there's so much shit talking. I, I just, I have no tolerance for it. Like you really don't know unless you have like some sort of evidence about what happened or what was done, like yeah. leave all of your like commentary. If you're, if you're not running it and you're not working there, even yeah, if yeah. You leave your shit beside, like, don't, don't yeah. come with like no one needs to like start restaurants are hard enough without people and there's so much gossip in the in the, oh yeah as you know like you know don't yeah well this, this was this was a pretty good source they were intimately involved with all of it so but um i still hear you i mean i'm not saying what it was <laughs> so i'm not supporting no, i that. think better not do that yeah no um well let, let's uh jump forward a little bit um you one tournament of champions last year which was pretty cool Thank you. Uh, yeah, every every season so far brooke williamson won the first monique shohan uh won the second you won the third mm-hmm. uh i mean women are basically taking taking out everyone in the in that competition so mm-hmm. far and we're on the eve basically of the new season sorry you're you're part of that correct mm-hmm, i am okay i'm not gonna obviously ask you what happened because you're not going to tell me nope. um but were you happy to return and defend your title yeah of course yeah it's always um it's just such a special competition it is incredibly hard um it doesn't ever get easier um yeah i'm always happy to be invited back yeah that that wheel is uh merciless merciless it's and <laughs> never know and it gets harder and harder so it's just, yeah it's so weird like when you have to come up with ideas on the fly and incorporate all these other things. It's like it's just insanity. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, <laughs> what uh, what what was your favorite uh, part besides winning of competing in this? You were in the second and the third season, but not the first, right? Yeah, I wasn't in the first season. Um, I came in the second, won the third. Um, my favorite part of it. It's honestly getting like this. Really, it's like being taken out of your normal life as much pressure and as hard as it is, I get to hang out with my friends for a while, you know? So being able to do that is a, so much fun. Like we all, you know, hang out with each other off when we're not filming and um, it's lovely to see everyone and be able to catch up. So that's a huge part of it. The actual cooking is wildly fun. It's hard, really, really. Yeah. really. Everything leading up to it is like vomit and diarrhea inducing, but like the actual cooking <laughs> is really fun. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine because it's, I, I, I sit there and I, you like, if I watch Chopped or something and I start thinking, well, what the hell would I do with it? Yeah. And like, sometimes I do have a plan uh, yeah. and I'm not really that great of a cook, to be honest. Uh, somehow I've gotten worse as a cook as I've gotten older. I don't know how, know how to explain that um, or lazier. Maybe that's it. Uh, but, lazier can just mean more efficient. And you get better. Yeah. I tend to just make the same damn thing a lot because I just don't have. I, I I'd certainly know my limits. I'm not going to sit there and look at a cookbook and try. It's like, I'll make uh, chicken, you know, I'll make steak, I'll make spaghetti, you know, like things yeah. like that. Leave it at that. Um, was it, oh, so, you, you know, the other part that everybody probably knows you from uh, is your appearances as both a competitor on different shows and as a judge. Mm-hmm. What, what was, um, uh, how did you feel when you went from being a competitor to being a judge? I mean, it's kind of an interesting story. I was, um, I, I really like 
given TV a very long break and kind of not sworn it off, but thought like, I really don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And um, Chopped was reaching out to me like constantly to compete in their girl tournament. And um, like for like three years in a row, like really on my case to do it. And I just was, I wasn't interested. I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And um, um, I uh, finally said yes. Um, and then I did like a, an interview with them, like a Skype interview back when Skype was a thing. <laughs> and um, they came back and said, Hey, we're not interested. Thanks. Any, thanks. Thanks. No, thanks. And I, I just thought this is first, I didn't know why I had to do an interview with him. Like you've seen me cook, like not you're like the one you're reaching out to me. <laughs> yeah you reached out to me so i don't know it was kind of confusing and then they didn't want me and i was like well, okay well and then wow. it became, well i i don't know I, I just felt shitty about the whole thing yeah right? yeah um and then a couple weeks later they were like hey we'd like you to come guest judge actually and i was like yes that i'll do that um so it was just like a one-off guest judge spot um and then it grew from there like they kept asking me back and then um yeah, I'm the first person that's been like officially brought onto like the judge team in ten years. So, right? Yeah. No, that's it's it's cool. Well, you you're also a judge on a show I just got got into recently because Discovery had it, you know, on the front page is Firemasters. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I didn't even know about. I guess because it was Canadian it's or Canadian. it is Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was surprised to see you on there. You know, I, I ended up seeing other Americans too. But it was like. I yeah, just figured Eddie, it was all ca Canadians. Yeah, Hugh was on there with us. Um, Eddie and I were there together. Um, uh, Kevin Bledsoe's on there. Yeah, yeah. there's actually, I would say like maybe more Americans than Canadians. It might be 50-50. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I was surprised that because Canadians usually like to keep, you know, keep their stuff to themselves. <laughs> food Network, so there is yeah. a I see. Yeah, that, made, that does make sense too. That's a, that's like, a fun show. It's a fun show and it's cool. The outdoor cooking is very cool. And it's, yeah. I think in that way, much different. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting too, because if, if people don't know the show, you know, you and two other people judge, you know, diff, different matches. And then one of the judges gets randomly picked at the end to go up against whoever won the first two battles. Yeah. And that's a fascinating thing to do actually. Yeah. It's fun for them to win. They have to beat us. So um, it's. <laughs> It's fun. It's and it's also fun for us to be able to like to cook. As much as I do enjoy judging, I really also like cooking as well. So yeah. um, when we film a season, you know, it's a lot of like sitting at a table. So I'm super happy to like get up and go after it. <laughs> well, you're also a, uh, a, a been a contestant, I believe, and a judge on Guy's Grocery Games. Obviously, that might have been your first introduction to Guy. I believe. No. Nope. Okay. Uh, Guy and I are from the same hometown. We're both from Santa Rosa, California. Okay. We've been like going in concentric circles for a while without meeting. Um, tournament champions was the first time I like really met met guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. They brought me into like the triple G world after that. Oh, okay. That, I didn't realize. I thought I thought you had been on the show before, but okay. So you're on you're on mostly as a judge now uh, on that too. How does how does how does judging that competition, especially when you get like home chefs and stuff like that? How does how does your do you switch your mentality on reviewing any differently? than actual chefs or how does that work? Well, I think they are actual chefs. Um, you know, Guy really started Triple G as an opportunity to showcase chefs that would be on like Diner Drives and, yes. or, you know, like on Triple D. So yeah. um, it was really uniquely designed for people that weren't in these like crazy fancy restaurants. So uh, for my money, um, you know, Topped is one thing we get really like high level chefs. Um, 
there's a mix, but we, we it's not uncommon for us to get like really extraordinarily talented chefs. Um, I find the chefs on Triple G no less talented. Like they no, just no, yeah. food. And for me, that food is like more where I live. I would rather pick up a delicious sandwich and like get after it than like take apart someone's like mediocre tweezer food any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, what, you know, I, I did want to ask, uh, you had two restaurants closed around the pandemic or since the pandemic, uh, Tiger Mama, which you, you are, you've kept the space, correct? And you're thinking about yeah, something I else? I reconcepted Tiger Mama and just tenderonies, yeah. Oh, I see. So that's what that is. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. And now what happened with Orfano's? It, I closed it. It yeah. was a high-end Italian restaurant in a neighborhood that like was emerging. Um, and then, you know, after the pandemic, like a lot of our neighborhood really, really changed. Um, and so um, it, we, I was already pushing the envelope to bring that level of a restaurant to the Fenway. Um, so the opportunity to like survive um, didn't exist in the same way. We weren't on the same trajectory in the neighborhood. And so I had to I had to speak to that. Yeah. So where where where's your head at right now with opening up more concepts? Is it going to be something a little, I hate to use the word simple, like, you know, tenderoni or, you know, like it just smaller concepts or are you thinking about still doing, you know, something a little more expansive? Well, I think tenderonis is expansive. Um, I hear what you're saying, but tenderonis is, it's, I don't find it simple. It's like yeah. it's pizza, but we, there's a lot that goes into no, it. No, there is. The pizzas sound amazing. It's not just that. As, as a full service restaurant, it's pretty comprehensive. Okay. Um, so um, it's just for me, um, I've been through this before. I've been through recessions before I knew it was coming. Um, and what I wanted to do is put restaurants forward that um, reminded people to stay out and have fun when they're out. And that um, with food that was maybe a little bit more democratic um, and a little less challenging. Um, there's not one direction that I'm going to like be in and stay in lane wise. That's not who okay. I am. So for right now, um, I always have projects working, but I have promised myself that 2023 is for me. I've been through three years of open, close, keep it open, keep people with jobs, try and like get, keep my restaurants surviving, went through a divorce. I went through like all kinds of shit in the past three years. And so now that we're finally on the other side of this, like I just bought a house, like I am happy to move into my house. I'm going to rip the inside of that house up, make it mine. Like 2023 is for me. I mean, I'm yeah. still going to be like doing a bunch of stuff in rest- in the restaurants I have, but I don't have any like immediate plans to do anything else right now. I need to just take a year. That's cool. Well, that's, hey, I think everybody needs to do that uh, sometimes. Yeah. They need to, I mean, it's not like you're not going to be still busy. <laughs> oh, I'm still really busy. I opened four restaurants last year. Like, yeah. um, it's okay to like take a damn year. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you brought up something interesting about, uh, the, the pandemic and, clo- you know, having to shutter things temporarily, however, um, since you have so many concepts or since, you know, your restaurants in different forms were, you know, different things, uh, how important is, you, is it to you to, to keep uh, certain staff members on and maybe move them up in some way? Very. And that's how we have, that's how we find our greatest success is people that come in at whatever level and continue to like rise with us. They understand, tend to be like members of the team that uh, that become more impactful because they understand the culture, they understand the goals, and then they, they can kind of lead from within. Um, we don't have the greatest success by bringing people in at high levels from outside. Um, it takes time. We operate things in a way that's not 
it's not typical. Like we, we haven't, um, you know, a set of mores and standards that we operate with that really are um, respectful of our team and of the diversity of our team. And people say that stuff. And then I, even as a guest chef, I'll go in sometimes I'm like, you don't, it's all like, you're just saying stuff like you don't mean it. And I'll be in environments. I'm like, this is like, not, maybe it's not full toxic, but it's like mildly toxic. And we just don't tolerate any of that. I'm not saying we're perfect. Yeah. I'm not saying we get it right every day, but when we don't get it right, we sit down and we work it out and we figure it out before we move forward. So um, those key members of my team are, um, there's like six of us that have been, my culinary director has been with me for 13 years. We've been together for 13 years. Um, we are an old married couple who bicker and work things out. And um, the, from there, the next is like six years. And um, so my team's been with me for a good long time. Um, I've had a lot of people that leave and then come back. Um, yeah, they're everything. And then they are, you know, for me, it's not about me. It's about them. And then they're mentoring the next generation that come through and become like, you know, players in the company as well. So, yeah. Well, there were a couple of things I, I, I took away from one. I, I read something where you were addressing the toxic kitchen culture, you know, and I'll, it, that's been a big thing the last five to 10 years, people starting to address that more. Yeah, finally. Uh, you know, and, you know, We've come a long way, like from the start of, because really people's idea of restaurants really started to form in, when Food Network kind of started coming out, you know, cooking and all that. And then Anthony Bourdain had had his book and, you know, admittedly, now that's basically embracing a lot of the toxic culture that, you know. Yeah, you know, and I don't think that there. was intentional for Tony at the time. No. It was really just kind of like telling very real stories, but I mean, I related to so much of it. Um, the problem was it was sort of, um, it was celebrated, you know, yeah. it was, this is the, this is the goal. And this is the idea. That was the time when like every chef works or, you know, chef work catalog had like a dude that looked really like angry with tattoos on the front. Yeah. It was, we were saying, this is the archetype of what you need to be. If you're a chef, right. you need to be white. You need to be cis male. You need to be angry. You need to be tatted out. You need to be like, you know, and, um, we got lost in that for a really long time. Yeah. Um, to his credit, Tony did a lot of work to dismantle that before he yeah. died. Um, in, if I'm being honest, and I don't want to speak ill, but not as much as he should have and not as loudly as he should have. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And I think had he hung around a little longer, he probably, it seemed like he was being pulled in a certain, you know, more progressive uh, direction. Yeah, in a lot he of had ways. a lot of conversations with, um, I mean, I think he also had relationships with women who had been leveled by toxic culture in their fields as well not just restaurants but also in their fields and the, i think that helped him open his eyes in a lot of ways i know he had conversations with dixler a lot he had conversations with cat kinsman that were you know like he was really coming around and having a lot of those conversations so um this is also like you know for someone that and i'm not speaking for him obviously but has been a part of like the building it unwittingly the building of that culture it's got to be very difficult to like understand the 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 weight of the part that was played in that yeah. and to like understand what it means especially if it's not what you intended and i'm 100 sure it wasn't um what do you do and how do you begin to like be a part of what dismantles it it's not easy yeah yeah no he was a he was definitely an interesting person i had the pleasure of uh talking to him a few times and yeah i like uh, him a bunch. i don't know it's I, I i get kind of bummed out i don't know why i, I even brought him up because i get bummed up thinking about him because i i just he was like a hero of mine in a lot of ways and uh 
you know, pretty much all my heroes are dead now, which is to a lot of people. He was a hero. And yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, and I think it's our, our responsibility to kind of look at why. And for us, so much of what Tony represented was giving voices to people that did not necessarily have voice and like, and culinary anthropology was not something that we talked about in a way that was so deeply personal that you went to the space and the place and understood who you were meeting and what they were eating and how, how you saw life through their lens. And, um, and really that was always, you know, travel and culinary. So, yeah. Well, how important, uh, uh, how does your personal uh, life in terms of, you know, being, being a woman, um, you know, uh, being, I, I, is that, is that your term? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't hundred percent sure. Yeah. Um, how does that represent itself now in your culture, your company? I mean, loud and clear every day. Um, yeah. It's something I've ever hid. Um, we are, an, we are a company that really puts uh, people that are marginalized historically at the forefront of everything that we do. Literally had a meeting with the Red Sox today with their like social justice and DEI team about how to maybe potentially move towards zero tolerance policy in terms of like any hate speech or um, activity online and their platforms today. So it's stuff I work on all the time. Um, and this is pre-restaurants, right? Like this didn't start 10 years ago. This has always oh. been. Um, like I remember starting like a straight gay and like HIV coalition in my high school in like 1994. So, you know, this is before I was even out. Like it was really more about like HIV prevention and education so right. um so I've always been so it's it not something I can separate not something I care to separate um and it's interesting the world is just kind of waking up to um you know we're seeing more representation on food shows and we're seeing a lot more like pe people of color people that have been like historically marginalized um if I'm being entirely honest I think we are still really missing um women like and the women that we that are hosting shows are very archetypically like unthreatening and this is where I'm standing here stirring something and I'm cooking for my husband and my kids and um, we're still really upholding those ideas of women and not just Food Network but like in general cooking shows like there's not there's all kinds of space for the men to be like badasses and like flexing their muscles and loud and yelling and slamming things down no problem I have no issue with that like be a baddie but women definitely have to balance the two and we're yeah. um, half of the population. Yeah, no, I get you. I was raised, you know, my mother bringing her up again. I mean, I was raised by a single mother. She had three kids. Uh, you know, she worked at 1.3 jobs and went to school. I don't know how she did it. Um, she gave me my, you know, my uh, foundation for how to respect, especially women. Um, yeah. Uh, I think my experience with my father made me not ex maybe not uh, necessarily respect a lot of men, but that's another story, and you're not my therapist. <laughs> well, we probably had really similar experiences with our fathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I read something about you know yours, and I was like, yeah, that that sort of sounds familiar. That tracks, yeah. <laughs> Except for the army, <laughs> he yeah. was never that he was never that adventurous, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But. Um, I, you know, but you you saying that about not having representation. Have you been pursued at all to be that representation in something like what you're describing you'd want to do? Or I mean, not, not that you want to see, not what you necessarily yeah, want to do. Yeah, I've actively worked on pitching things. Um, and yeah, it's an interesting world. It's like not, a, it's a lot to get into in terms of like yeah. how that works on TV. But 
Um, yeah, I've actually actively pitched things. I talk to people about it all the time. The other thing is I don't hide who I am, you know, mm-hmm. like, no, um, I'm, you know, if it depends on how things are edited, but if like, there are times that I talk about like my significant other, or whoever, you know, it might be, or like dating or whatever it is, um, pretty open book about stuff like that. So, um, <clears throat> I don't think that there's, you know, the difference between like someone of color and me is that I, you walk up to like a, a, a woman of color and you know, she's a woman of color. Not right. everyone would have had to have like had experience with me in some shape or form to understand that you're walking up to a woman that's queer. So that representation is different, right? Like um, it, it's, and I, and we need to see more women of color period yeah. and we'll end of story full stop. So that's really important. I think women across the spectrum for sure. But um, you know, and also not just women that look like me. I mean, I'm a very femme presenting queer woman. Um, there are a lot of like ma- more masculine presenting queer um, women, non-binary people of color, trans people that like need to be represented. And I don't think that that's a category that food knows how to sell yet. Yeah. Well, I've, I've seen instances on shows. I think Chopped had a, a trans man um, mm-hmm. on fairly well last year because Discovery doesn't put up new episodes. So I'm always like a year behind because um, yep. I don't, I don't like paying for cable anymore, but uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, you know, there's there, but you're right. And it's also, we're also trying to jump from nothing yep. to including everyone, which is going to be a hard needle to thread. I don't think it's hard. And I don't really? think, it's I don't think it's interesting to have a trans man on. I think it's important. Well, it's, I, I'm saying, yeah, I, 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 you, but I, I also I, think I, yeah. for you, for you've clearly been watching Chopped and shows for a really long time, and for you yeah. to be like, I remember they had one trans man. Right, right. As as far as I know, as far yeah. as I know. Yeah. But I, what I'm getting at is it, what sometimes, and maybe it's because you know when I was born, I was born in the early '70s, you know, and maybe just from growing up in culture that you, I saw how hard it was for anybody to recognize HIV in the '80s, and to even think that people might be gay. Like, we, it's like we can't, you can't seem to move our culture fast enough somehow. And it, it just, it, we may want to in a lot of ways, but it seems like it's really, that's what I meant by, you know, you know, threading the needle. It's like, it's like, a, you know, our culture really is stiffened against, you know, progression, obviously, even, and I think we're at a point now, it's very much like the 50s quite frankly yeah, we've taken way. a few steps back um i mean there was a time when like at least if you were a complete bigot and an asshole there was shame around it and there, that shame right. sort of like shed its its skin pretty hard in the last few years yeah i hear you i think you know the we're going to talk about like the aids crisis and getting through that and, like what ultimately changed it was a combination of a lot of things like one it got to a point that the epidemic was so pervasive that there everyone knew someone and that changed it when it personalized like it's very easy to keep someone at arm's length as an other until they're in your life until you love them and they're struggling with something that the world is telling them that is not okay whether it's like back in the you know 70s 80s 90s like struggling with HIV and AIDS or whether it's like being queer and hearing you know the things that are being thrown at someone that you love or you know like we've only through like extremely violent horrible means have we like gotten to some places that are better um and so, you know, it's, it's tough. And would I like it to change much faster? Yeah. We're, we're a culture of like two steps, four, one forward, two back sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that the, I don't really think that we are people who are fighting it as much as the loudest, most annoying voices in the room 
are taking up the most amount of space right now. And that's I think so moment. too. Yeah, that's yeah. just a moment. We'll get through that. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I grew up, um, you know, I obviously had my mom as a good, good representative, but I grew up like, you know, when Sesame Street came out. So I had an early on, like, okay, except, except everybody, as long as they're not an asshole, basically, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's how I've lived my life you know, uh, essentially. So, but it's like, you know, and it's harder, like I think back to when I was younger, and it's harder for me as a person of my age now to see the impatience, I guess, in younger people for some reason, well, but I, 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 I get it. Yeah, I get it. But I, it's like, it's also like, I, I just, I don't know. I don't, it's like, I don't, I think getting older is weird. What do you mean impatience? Like it's harder for Like you. trying, you know, trying to move everything right now. It's like, and I, like, like no no sense of like uh we just attack instead of trying to inform you know sometimes well in fairness i hear what you're saying but yeah. i also in fairness like there's a lot of young people that just want to be able to live their lives freely as they understand like, yeah. teach classes every day and so yeah. um if you're asking for people that are young that are always the people that are moving the needle faster than everyone yeah. Everyone has said this about the generation before. Yes. That they're moving too quick and they're going too fast and they should wait because we waited. And not. there's like, it's a fallacy of tradition. No one yeah. should have to wait because the generation ahead of them waited. That's not a thing. So if yeah. you're asking like whoever it is, young black kids to like, you know, stop moving so quick because they want to live their life safely. That's not, no. If you're asking young queer kids to like yeah. live their lives as like freely as possible, whether it's, whether they're- Well, that wasn't really what, yeah, I'm sorry. That wasn't exactly, it's not, saying, not that like, aspect. It was more about like, if somebody says something and they're not maybe as informed the, the jumping on that. Like if somebody writes an article and they use something wrong and they don't, they are not meaning harm, but there's like, you know, and if this happens, hey, look, trust me, on the right, those people are insane too. So it's like, you know- It happens everywhere, but I also- yeah. Like we are in a space and time that we have never um, had the privilege to be in before. Like insofar as like, if someone's writing an article, it, you have every opportunity to like, check it, check it again. There's tons of resources out there. The entire library that we used to have to go to is now at your yeah. fingertips. So right. um, I think it's, I think it's everyone's job to be intentional about what it is they want to say, who they're yeah. saying to and how they're saying it. Um, and I, I hear you about like the piling on thing. Like I get that. And there's a way to, for me, it's not, it's almost never about what's said. It's about how it's said. And that's, I, I would say that too. Yes. But it's also the responsibility of people who live in privilege to like really do the work. Um, right. there's, I whole, get that. there's lots of communities of people that have been historically marginalized that are just tired of doing the fucking work for everybody. No, I, I get that. And I, I'm probably not being as uh, eloquent as I'd like to be, because I think I'm still, honestly, I'm still evolving as a person myself. And I'm trying to catch up with what, because it seems like I've, for me, like we jumped just a bunch of steps. Like I grew up, you know, I had, you know, friends that were gay or lesbian or, you know, whatever I had, you know, I knew I supported the, the gay, queer, LGBT, you know, the community. Mm -hmm. I was on board. I, I was all on board for rights, for marriage and all that stuff. And it just like, I don't know if it's because of the internet, social media, like it just seemed like the the walls broke and a bunch of information started flooding in and like sometimes i think of myself well am i being negative or am i just overloaded with information and you know i also think like also if i'm the one that's unsure of how to think about certain things i can't even imagine what the not so you know extreme right person 
is you know they just shut it off and say all of it is bad you know, right well the difference between you and them is you're obviously like open to learning and that's, yeah that's that's huge but i mean i i guess i would my question would be like what is the information like if you feel like the dam of information broke and it happened really fast what what is that information it's just about uh gender gender identity like the just uh, i just didn't i you know things like that and and, and uh, I didn't realize that uh, trans the transgender community was as big as it was, quite frankly. And and part of that is from you know my my growing up in in entertainment. The tra a trans person was generally a streetwalker, you know, in, in the entertainment. You know, that was what they were kind of you know relegated to. So it's no, like, that's who we've been taught that they yeah. were sex workers in in a lot of ways. But that's also like that's a you know that's one aspect of right. Like, no, no, I it, yeah I. So, and there's plenty of information out there. Like, I will say, like, it's a conversation that my mom and I have had a bunch, you know, she's continued to like grow and, and learn. Um, I've dated non-binary people. Um, my boyfriend is trans. Um, and it's, you know, when she, we start, she starts with like, explain this to me. And my response to her is do some research, yeah. do some work on your own and then come back and let's chat. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not asking you to explain anything to me for sure. And I, I'm fully admitting that I'm, an evolving project so we all are for yeah. sure <laughs> so i hope I'm, i i hope number one that i didn't offend you in any way with you know not having everything I'm processed. Happy to have a conversation for sure yeah. i do think that we probably need to move some nomenclature out and like if we're gonna breach the subject and start having conversations it's i think it's really um important not to you know to and again this is not me being like the pc police but i think we've known enough to to not to know that trans people aren't streetwalkers and that they're right there has been a history of sex work in the trans community because they've been so marginalized. Right. There's they no didn't have way. anywhere to go. Right. So yeah. Um, no, so it's yeah, it was just a, it's wrong. just a history. Yeah, it's just a history of either no information, bad information, and then all of the information. I think, and it's just like uh, I think as one thing I try to fight against as I get older is not being that person that's an immovable object. You know, right. not I don't want to I don't want to be that, but I also with regular life and things I'm trying to do and then trying to also keep up with society in its yep. ever-changing ways yeah. sometimes it can be overwhelming for people and then like I said I can't imagine somebody that's not open you know to the idea because it yeah, must be I, must I melt their brains yeah I understand that it's like <laughs> it can be overwhelming for people especially if they're not you know part of the community or like that understand um yeah, it's a lot of information. For you guys, it's information. For yes. us, living in it every day. It's right. not understand. the difference between like life and death sometimes. So right. like like while I understand and appreciate that people can be overwhelmed with information, like put yourself in the shoes of someone who might be overwhelmed with worrying about their safety. I understand, day. yeah. So. Yeah, and, and, I'm, and my whole thing comes back to what I said about earlier is basically just be cool to people, number yeah. one. Be, be kind. You don't have to go out of your way to be a jerk. Yeah. to people that you don't know just because you don't agree with them and where our culture has gotten so seemingly divided yeah um you know i can't process the information that goes on on the right right side either i can't believe like okay here's an example like the whole thing about embracing nazism my grandfather fought world war ii against nazis he was in germany he fought them you know the idea that our country would embrace that in some way, it's like, where, how did we get the idea there? Of embracing hatred in any way, shape or form, yeah. like really beyond the pale. Yeah. I think what we're, what, 
we're saying if we're trying to understand like the both sides of the arguments which some parts of both sides of both arguments are just inane and not worth your time or your brain trust understandable but if we're talking about like what would has historically been heterosexual cis white men that have like had hadn't held all the power and like the world was really theirs to like run keep and tell everyone else what to do around them and that started to shift a little bit that's not it hasn't shifted but the plates have started to shift just a little bit enough Mm. to scare the shit out of people and then with that we see jobs that used to be like reliable jobs truck drivers coal miners like manufacturing positions that have been automated moves out of like what used to be like really traditional ways to earn a living that was considered the right thing to do in america and blue collar and like all the things that built this country we've seen that like just completely like go like sand through fingertips for people and so it's really easy i think unfortunately instead of like digging into the why of that and understanding that like this is what happens like it happened with you know the essentially the automated age like it's happening again and to understand how to like move that in a personal way and in a way with your family around you that puts you in the driver's seat as opposed to just becoming angry about what was and the change that you're seeing around right. you. And so right. that change is scary. And when you can't take care of your family and you don't, you feel like the world is moving too fast for you, um, that what the want is to slow it down, put the brakes on and go back to like, when you had the power, things were easier. You were being, you know, big hearty handshakes for doing the job that you were doing. And you could, you know, work at a plant and take care of your family of four. Those days are gone. They're not coming back. And I understand the anger and the fear about it, but there's also the other side of those days where women were not allowed to have credit cards without co-signing from a man. Right. They got a loan on home, couldn't have a bank account. People of color weren't able to vote. People of color couldn't have a bank account. So for all the like romanticizing we do of that time, it was only for one specific part of the population. But I do still understand the fear of all of that disappearing. But now it's the similar, it's a very similar fear that all the, the rest of the population's been living in for a long time. Yeah, no, I think people have to realize, people have to be more aware of others in general, I think. And I think, and, and that seems to be breaking down as we get further away from interacting with people too. And that's a whole other thing. And I could sit here and go into the why, you know, America uh, jobs wise the way it is because of the Reagan period of busting the unions and letting corporations go overseas, all that stuff. It's like, it's not, it's not the black person in your neighborhood's fault. It's not the, 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 the gay person's, you know, in your, it's the number one, it's the politicians and it's the corporations. It's a grab bag of a lot of things yeah. that have slim to shit to do with the person that you want to pin it on. Right. Right. And I think it's just too easy to blame a culture you know for for your troubles and well, you could, other, your trouble could be you voting to promote for a really yeah. long time like yeah so. yeah well i think we're probably a little bit over but i did want to ask you a couple of yeah. per, couple I of not personal questions but two minutes. Fun, fun questions yeah uh favorite movie oh lord um comedy probably bridesmaids is the one i will never turn off when it comes on and okay. i just laugh off every last time um there's too many dramas so yeah okay last show you binged i am in the middle of the last of us right now okay it's so good um so i don't know if i'm binging i'm waiting every day like true binge um, yeah like sitting there on you know on your couch for hours just glazed oh, over west, the west wing west, and i'd seen it before but i did there was a west wing marathon over between like christmas and new year's like they played all of them yeah. and i was like oh just like watch one and then like three days no showers later i was like 
That's bad. That gla- glazed look on your face, oh, yeah. like, where am I? Who am I? How many, I could count, like, how many days I've been there by, like, you know, seltzer yeah. can cocktails. I was like, this is bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite concert you ever went to? Uh, three. Okay, uh, three. Florence and the Machine, because I was, like, on the stage watching from below. Uh-huh. Um, Garth Brooks, he did his retro, like he's um, going back this summer. Um, at he did like a his career in three hours. Okay. Um, and Beyonce, the Lemonade All tour. Right. All right. Yeah. Awesome. What's what's been your favorite celebrity interaction? Or have you had one? I I've had lots of them. Yeah, I would I imagine. Work, I used to work the stock room with Josh Jumel at the Gap in Santa Rosa when we were like it was in high school. Um. So he, I saw wasn't, him. he wasn't Josh Dumel back then. He wasn't. He was in like, he was going to Snow <laughs> State. He was thinking about going to dental school. Um, <laughs> that would be a different life. Yeah. Um, we, yeah, we worked in the soccer room together all the time, like blasting Pearl Jam. Um, so I ran into him a couple of years ago at the Derby. It was really nice to see him. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you yeah. go to the Derby. I, I, I You always uh, have, have a nice outfit when you go to the yeah. Derby. Yeah, well, you got to bring your A game. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. All right, favorite, and last one, favorite yeah. thing to snack on um the like sophisticated answer is probably like good cheese and crackers the real answer is hot cheetos hot cheetos yeah flaming flaming always <laughs> we have finger chopsticks that we just got for the office and they like <laughs> literally hook on here and you can just do that so you i seen something like that or i saw somebody we bought them. We're the that? yeah or i saw somebody using chopsticks to eat flaming oh that that is so last year we have like they only hook <laughs> on the top of your finger and yeah they're they're unbelievable that's awesome well tiffany i really appreciate you taking the time today i appreciate you being receptive to my confusion about certain topics i I, it was really a thrill talking to you keep talking like yeah we lose it when we stop communicating it's important that we talk all right well you have a great rest of your day good luck on tournament of champions which is debuting on sunday Sunday. all right excellent all right right. thank you you have a great rest of your day all right bye